Hello. Testing. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Good. Well, why don't we pray first? Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. And um, Lord, again, we invite you to be our teacher. And I pray that we would come to this place with surrendered hearts, um, open and willing to listen to your truth and your word. Um, Cause us to be humble and teachable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, have you ever wondered why God didn't make you perfect instantly? Wouldn't that have been nice? You know, wouldn't it be easier if God just, you know, zapped you with a magic wand and improved, in fact, removed your impatience, your bad temper, your bitterness, and made you instantaneously loving and joyful all the time when you became a Christian? It would have been a lot easier, right? You know, why couldn't Christian character be as simple as building, you know, Ikea furniture right out of the box? God sends you all the pieces and the directions, nice pictures, step one, step two, step three, and everything slides into place, right? Presto changeo, changeo, godliness that comes in a box. Do you want love? Go to aisle A, section B23, item 777. That sounds pretty perfect, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Buy, load, build, perfect piece of character. Wouldn't it be simple that, you know, great it was that simple, but it really isn't, is it? But God in his wisdom didn't eradicate all of our weaknesses in an instant. In fact, you know, sometimes it feels like this uphill climb. And the conditions for change seem like this uphill battle. For example, God left us in a world that is set against him. So the conditions are already against us. And even though he graciously forgave our sins at the cross, we're prone to sin still. And even though Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, and his future destruction is certain, that's what Revelation teaches us, the evil one is still a major obstacle to our spiritual growth. In other words, the world is bent against us, our own sinful flesh is against us, and the devil remains as an obstacle to our own spiritual growth. These are several reasons. There are several reasons why God didn't simply hand you perfection in a box. But I think one of the main reasons is this. God is showing you how you need the Holy Spirit for character transformation. 
God in his wisdom wants you to trust him for spiritual change. God wants us to trust him for the cultivation of fruit in our lives to let us know we can't do it without him. Now, in the next few months, uh, we're going to park here for a while. We're going to be talking about the importance of growing the fruit, how to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit within the body of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so uh, we're going to slow down, and we're going to spend time talking about each of these character traits and other issues that go along with it. And uh, before we get there, we need to take a few, make a few important observations about this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Does that sound redundant to you? You know, sometimes when we hear the phrase fruit of the Spirit, um, or other phrases, you know, when we're familiar with the phrase, the meaning is lost. And we stop paying attention to really what it's saying. The fruit that Paul is talking about does not come from human will or human willpower at all. The fruit of character are all divine traits found in Galatians chapter 5. Each piece of fruit, each trait is of the Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, we can't cultivate this kind of fruit that Paul is talking about. So the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from Him. If we're going to grow the fruit of the Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit to actually make it happen. And so this fruit actually comes from God. Now Jesus himself came to us, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus was human, and he was divine all at the same time, but Jesus still demonstrated for us while on earth a life of depending upon the Holy Spirit. And so we must do the same. He's shown us the example. And so we know that he always slipped away to pray. What's he doing? He's depending upon God the Father. He's depending on the Holy Spirit for everything. He's surrendering his life to God. So when we, when someone surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, God dwells with them through the same Spirit that dwelt in Jesus. And the more we're dependent upon the Spirit the Holy Spirit, the more the Spirit's fruit will ripen within us and among us. So we can't grow divine fruit without the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, some might question why we need the Spirit of God. They say, you know, even non-believers 
they do good things and they demonstrate good behavior. Um, well, it is true, actually. It is true that through self-discipline, many people are able to perform great acts of kindness and goodness and love and have a sense of peace and patience. And you know what? You should stop and thank God for this. This is called general revelation, where all of society hasn't gone sideways. Right? General grace. And we need to thank God, because without it, if you think society is chaotic now, without God's gift to humankind for some general goodness and love, society would be really chaotic. But you also know that it can go sideways real fast. But we're talking about the spirit, divine characteristics that cannot be produced in our own power. We're talking about a whole new level of consistency and quality through God's work in our hearts and minds and within the body of Christ. Now, some of you need to... to Understand this. Even if you have a troubled past, and I think that's all of us in some ways, okay? Because none of us have perfect pasts. Even with a troubled past, when you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, God can change you. We need to believe that. Because it's not about me. It's about God. Paul had a troubled past. Peter had a troubled past. All of God's people had troubled past. But God can supernaturally change us to become like Jesus when we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So here's a question for you. Do you desire... To become like Jesus? Do you desire the fruit of Christ? You know, in Paul's letter to the Galatian church, he was deeply concerned about their spiritual maturity because they had gone sideways. And so he says this Dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. That's quite, that's quite the picture. Until Christ is formed in you. So Paul is speaking. He's, you know, he's older. He's wiser. And Paul's speaking as a loving spiritual father to this church family. And spiritual parenting or spiritual leadership is often very painful. It's like giving birth, Paul says. This is why we have so few spiritual leaders in the church, because it is painful work. It requires sacrifice. But Paul's desire for them is this, that Christ is formed in them. Christ is formed in you. That is value number one. That is Paul's desire for them. And it's a desire that he wishes God's people have. 
And so he prays that they would take on the character of Jesus Christ. He's trying to teach them that true freedom, because everyone wants freedom, can be found through the work of the Spirit of Christ forming in them and not through human means. Human means eventually bring up all kinds of issues. But it all begins with desire. So that's the question for you. Do you desire to become like Jesus? The late John Stott was a well-respected, godly pastor. He was a biblical scholar, theologian. Um, I've read his commentaries for many years um, from the UK. His friend, another biblical scholar, Christopher Wright, said this about him. He was the most Christ-like person that he ever met. And each day John prayed, John Stott prayed something like this. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up your cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray this day you will fill me with you yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so Christopher Wright, in quoting John Stott, basically said, John became this godly person because he desired Christ. He desired Christ-likeness. And in humility, he prayed that the Spirit would fill him and cause God's fruit to ripen within him. It's no accident that some people become mature. So again, do you desire to be formed into the character of Jesus? Because nothing much will happen in your life if you do not desire him. Just like anything else, it begins with the desire. And so in humility, this is your take home for this morning, Ask God to place in you a hunger and a desire to become like Jesus. Now, of course, as we already suggested, there are challenges to growth. And in Galatians, there were two main obstacles to growth, law and flesh. The desire for the Galatian church to become like Christ was sabotaged by these two big obstacles. And as I mentioned earlier, Paul, when he talked about the fruit of spirit, um, he addressed this issue because he recognized this church had gone sideways in two different directions. Now, this is a beautiful picture, right, of the fruit growing and the filling of the spirit, but it stands in stark contrast to the way that some of the members were starting to live And so he's trying to address these issues head on. Now, these issues um, are a little bit complex, so I'm going to try my best to try to simplify things. But Galatians is a letter sent to a Gentile church, okay? So they're non-Jews. 
and they're in Asia Minor, which today is modern Turkey. And we read their exciting story, how they came to faith in Jesus Christ through the pre preaching of Paul. This is Acts 13 and 14. And they had become followers of Jesus as their Lord, as his Lord, their Lord and Savior through Paul's teaching. And Paul taught them that Jesus was the one promised in the Old Testament. And because of the Galatian church were non-Jews but Gentiles, they were not that familiar with the Old Testament. So Paul did a lot of explaining to them. And he helped them understand how the God of Israel made a promise to Abraham that through his descendants, all people of the earth, all the nations would find blessing in this promised person. And so Paul assured the Galatian Christians that by placing their faith in Jesus as that one, as that promised Messiah or king, they in fact can be a part of God's family, right? Simply by faith in Jesus. They too, Paul says, are children of Abraham. You're the people of God without even becoming a Jew or needing to follow Jewish custom. They were adopted into God's family by God's grace and through faith in Jesus as their Messiah. So it was this hallelujah moment, right? And of course, that's the same today. Now listen to Galatians 3, 26 to 29, where he says these things. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heir according to a promise. And of course, he keeps on going from there. But then something happened. Others broke into their church in some way with a different message, which was really not the good news of Jesus. So they happened to be Jewish. And they happened to be people who did believe in Jesus. So it was really confusing. But they infiltrated this congregation. And basically their stance was, Jesus wasn't quite enough. You needed something extra. They said something like this. If you really wanted the true blessings of God and find your right standing with God then you needed to follow some Jewish practices, such as circumcision, observing the laws of Moses, especially Sabbath laws, and eat only ritually cleansed food according to Jewish customs. In other words, they were saying, Jesus, to believe in Jesus is right, but then you need something extra like these Jewish customs to stay on the right moral path. Well, Paul reacts strongly to this kind of teaching in Galatians 1 to 4. Because faith in Christ and the life of the Spirit 
is all that they need. That's what Paul is saying. With the coming of Jesus, the way was made open for people of all cultures, of all nations, to receive the promise given to Abraham long ago. Those who trust in Jesus are not obligated to live under the disciplinary authority of the Old Testament. Now, um, this is where it gets a little bit complicated and confusing because you, you must appreciate and understand that the law of God was actually good. And we can still be blessed by reading the Old Testament in large ways. And so, you know that I preach to the Old Testament. We went through the Psalms, right? We went through Judges. You know, the Old Testament is still God's word. But, so, the Old Testament comes from God. It has its rightful place and proper function before Christ. But true spiritual freedom, Paul argues, doesn't come from following these old Sabbath laws and circumcision and living a kosher diet, but by living in Christ and walking in the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. That is the language of Paul here. What is primary is your faith in Jesus and living through the power of the Spirit. But unfortunately, many in the Galatian church became what I call hybrid Christians, believing in Jesus, but also tacking on Jewish traditions. So it was forced on these people, you gotta be Jewish too, to be legitimate. But the reason why these people forced the Gentile Christians to add on Jewish brings up the other extreme. There's a reason behind why the Jews, the Jewish Christians, taught this. Because they were concerned about the Gentiles' morality. Right? Because they all have pagan backgrounds. And they're very used to an immoral life. And they felt that they needed these extra things to restrain them. Restrain their flesh. Because the Gentiles, in their background, there was this, you know, moral license, this moral freedom. I can do whatever I want to in their background. And so basically, the Jewish Christian says this, if they are not restrained by the Mosaic law, then these young baby Gentile Christians who know nothing about God's law are just going to slip back into their own pagan ways. And so basically you have these, what I call, two extremes. And they oppose each other. The two extremes are what we might call today legalism, keep all the rules, and moral license on the other end. They are people who rather reject rules and laws. And both are wrong answers to how a Christian should live. The issue of these two extremes are still an issue found in the church today, uh, even though it might be expressed in different ways. There are legalistic churches who stress rule-keeping. Sometimes we call this the don't-do-this-don't-do-that Christianity. You're... You prove your worth by following the church's rules. 
And people like this tend to be, you know, want to have things very clear and very strict. And unfortunately, they have little sympathy for those who don't follow the rules. And so even though they are rule keepers, they tend to be grumpy. They tend to be complainers about the other people, unloving, rock-stacking legalists who no one tends to be attracted to. But on the other hand, and normally in reaction to these rule followers, are those who say, God loves me as I am, just leave me alone. Right? He accepts me as I am, and there isn't a strong motivation for change. And so they react to any kind of guidance or discipline or talk of obedience, often have problems with authority figures, both in the church and outside of the church. And so like the prodigal son, this can lead them to this open, free life, looking no different from the world. The law enforcers are kind of like the Pharisees. And the rule rejectors are kind of like the prodigal son. And they don't get along. Just like the elder brother in the prodigal son story and the younger brother, they didn't get along. Two different philosophies of life, but both wrong. Law enforcers accuse the rule rejectors for being undisciplined and disobedient. The rule rejectors accuse the law enforcers for being unloving and strict. But neither way is right or even Christian. And both are extremes and not the gospel. But that is why Galatians exists. Paul says, hey you guys, there is a way better way than the way you're tracking here. It is the way of the Spirit that's given to every believer who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So, Paul responds to both of these extremes. To the law enforcers, he says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He's basically saying you missed the point. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Right? I mean, he's using shorthand, right? Faith in Christ. Dependence on the Holy Spirit, which produces love. To the rule and law rejectors, right? These free-willing people. Paul says, brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Right? Now, did you notice the answer to both extremes? Love. Right? Love is the answer for both extremes. Love is the answer to both the rock-stacking legalists and the free-flying rule rejectors. And so Paul says in Verse 6, chapter 5, once again. 
The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, this, you know, this should really give us pause here. Um, so let me ask you. Do you tend to lean to one extreme or the other? Or I should say, which extreme do you tend to lean to? Because we all tend to lean to one way or the other. Some people overreact to their background. You maybe had a strict, legalistic background, but as you grew up, you reacted to that, and you went the other way, right? You went to the other side. Or do you tend to be the rule follower who expects others to follow your rules without much love or sympathy? Big questions. So this brings us back to kind of where we began. And it's the most important point. Our lives are to be governed neither by keeping laws or by the flesh, which is self, but by the spirit. Let me say that again. Our life is not to be governed by the law or rule-keeping or by the flesh, which is self, but by the Spirit. Through faith in Christ, God has given us the Holy Spirit to grow Christian character. That is why the Spirit came, to change broken lives. And in the Spirit of God, He helps us fulfill the law of Christ, Paul says. So he doesn't abandon, you know, Christian life doesn't abandon guidance and laws and rules, right? But instead, the Spirit of Christ helps us fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul says in Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Again, again, addressing one side and then the other side. And the Spirit is the secret. Living by the Spirit is the secret. So we're talking about fruit. And that word in itself holds, I think, a key here. It's a metaphor. And it's a metaphor that represents the character of Jesus. So all these character traits, the fruit, is basically the fruit of Jesus. This is the character of Jesus. And the use of the metaphor fruit, I think, is really important because fruit is living. I mean, did you know that apples and oranges and bananas actually don't come from the grocery store? You know, if, if our children never went to the orchard or showed, showed pictures of actually where they came from, maybe they just think, 
well, you know, the sprinklers are spraying everything in there in the grocery aisle. Maybe it's just grown right there. I don't know. No, it's produced as a natural product of a healthy tree or bush. You know, my, my grandfather and then my uncle took over the fruit farm, the family fruit farm, the Ikenoa fruit farm in, in uh, Rutland near Kelowna. And uh, when I was a boy, of course, when we were on furloughs, we would visit uh, my uncle. And I always remember the sound of those sprinklers. You, you remember the Okanagan, you know? The sound of the sprinklers. Yeah? I love that sound. And there was my uncle. He's on his ladder. He's picking the fruit, right? Putting in bags and boxes, and he's getting the apricots and the ch- oh, cherries. Oh, my goodness, they're the best. And, uh, you know, he would sneak us stuff um, to the family we'd take home, but most of it, of course, would go to market. No, the fruit does not grow in Superstore. How do we get such delicious fruit? We have fruit because there was life in those trees. And up from the soil and water that feeds its roots and flowing through the sap and through every branch and twig. And then fruit gets produced through this wonderful living process. Trees grow fruit because they are healthy and growing trees. Now, what does it mean for us? What does this metaphor mean for you? It means that the Christian life is about growing the character of Jesus, the fruit, through a living relationship with God in the Spirit. He is the tree. God is the vine. And if we're not vitally connected, we can't grow fruit. We just make a lot of religious noise. And that's the problem. Because it's pseudo-fruit when you're not connected. It becomes legalistic. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, or some versions say, if you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then, of course, you know this famous line, apart from me, you can do nothing. So there it is, right? It's so crystal clear. Jesus is talking about remaining in him and he in us. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like a living relationship. The fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus can only be grown when we are living in vibrant relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And that is why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of human will. And that's where we get into trouble. But unfortunately, growing character, growing in character, is undervalued in the church today. So you have to ask yourself, here's another thing you you can take home and think about. 
is what is driving you. We're more interested in getting ahead financially. We're more interested in the advancement at, at work. Now don't get me wrong. God's given you both money and work as a gift. And they're necessary parts of your life, thank God. But Jesus speaks most often about growing Christian character. In fact, Jesus says, Those who bear much fruit will show themselves to be my disciples. God is looking for people who understand the value of Christ's likeness and in the kind of person you're becoming. Again, do you desire to become like Jesus? And if you desire to become like Jesus, then what's important to you is this vital relationship with Jesus. So, um, in the next few months, I'm going to hang along, uh, around here for a long time. Uh, you know, we'll have a few breaks for some guest speakers and Christmas and all that. But we're going to talk about each of the nine characteristics, and uh, I'll be talking about other things as well. And uh, I don't want you to become anxious. Uh, you know, I find that anytime you talk about uh, these areas or um, quieting down and having time with God, um, I find that, especially with men, uh, they get scared. Why do we get scared? Because no one likes to be exposed. No one likes to be busted, right? So I just want you to just, just relax, okay? We all have needs. We all have shortcomings. But the good news is God gifts you with the Holy Spirit to make transformation happen, right? So this, this is a Paul's message is, a, is an incredibly joyful message. Guess what, you guys? God is for you. He's gifted you for transformation. Is there areas of discipline that we need? Yeah, absolutely, right? That's why the desire has to be you. So please take a deep breath. I have no joy in making you feel worse about yourself, okay? Just like you cannot rush a turtle, you can't rush the growth process. So just breathe in, breathe out. So that's why we're going to slow down and talk about what each piece of fruit, the metaphor, looks like and why we need it because we need, we need convincing <laughs> and how to grow it. Okay? Right. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for um, the privilege to know you better. We couldn't do this without the giving up of your life for us without the gift of your spirit. And so may we not reject these gifts. Instead, embrace your presence and your spirit so that we can become like you. Lord, our prayer this morning 
is that you would give us a new, fresh desire to become like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.